Welcome to conference coverage highlights presented by ReachMD Radio on XM160 and powered by Health Day. Conference coverage highlights features the latest clinical information and research findings from the American Society of Clinical Oncology's 2010 Genitourinary Cancer Symposium, which took place March 5th through the 7th in San Francisco. I'm Dr. Mark Kina, host of Conference Coverage Highlights. And I'm your co-host, Sue Berg. This year's 2010 Genitourinary Cancer Symposium was supported by Sanofi Aventis. The symposium attracted over 2,000 participants from around the world. Highlights of the gathering included recent advances in diagnostic approaches to prostate cancer, targeted therapies for metastatic prostate cancer, and approaches for high-risk penile cancer patients. Notable data was presented from a clinical study involving TAK700, a selective lyase inhibitor. In preclinical studies, TAK700 appeared to substantially reduce adrenal androgen levels in vivo. The results of this study suggest that in patients with castration-resistant metastatic prostate cancer, TAK700 is active and well-tolerated at a dose greater or equal to 300 milligrams twice daily. In this Phase 1-2 open-label dose escalation study, researchers evaluated 26 patients receiving TAK700 at five dose levels or a combination of TAK700 and prednisone. The authors noted that as of September 2009, 16 patients remained in the study with 10 discontinuing treatment. Five discontinued due to adverse events, three due to objective disease progression, and one due to prostate-specific antigen progression. The Phase one results showed that 96% of patients experienced at least one treatment-related adverse event. 88% of these were TAK700-related, and 50% were greater than or equal to grade 3 toxicity. The most common side effect was fatigue, followed by a non-dose-regulated gastrointestinal adverse event. All patients who received a dose of at least 300 milligrams of TAK700 experienced a decrease in PSA level. The authors of this study write that 400 milligrams twice daily is the recommended dose of TAK700. The safety and efficacy of this drug and the necessity for use of concomitant prednisone were further assessed in the study's Phase two portion. One or more authors of this study reported financial relationships, including employment, with Millennium Pharmaceuticals, the oncology arm of Takeda Pharmaceutical Company. Results were presented from a prospective multi-center study evaluating a gene fusion urine assay, commonly called T2ERG. The need exists for prostate cancer markers with greater diagnostic accuracy. Although serum prostate-specific antigen has high sensitivity for predicting prostate biopsy outcome, it has poor specificity. Over 60% of biopsies resulting from PSA testing come out negative. In this study, investigators evaluated the performance of a prototype quantitative T2ERG gene fusion urine assay for predicting prostate biopsy outcome alone and in combination with other markers and risk factors. Investigators evaluated 463 patients with specimens that yielded sufficient RNA for T2ERG analysis. For 453 of these patients, test results were also obtained for prostate cancer gene 3, serum PSA, and percent-free PSA. The gene fusion urine assay showed high specificity for predicting prostate cancer biopsy outcomes. In addition, the researchers say that when used in combination with other prostate cancer tests such as PCA3, SPSA, percent FPSA, and other clinical factors including race, family history, prostate volume, digital rectal exam results, prior prostate biopsy, and age, the approach led to significantly improved diagnostic accuracy. 
Researchers concluded that further improvement in diagnostic accuracy could be achieved using a nomogram that combines T2-ERG with other markers and risk factors for prostate cancer. An author of this study said in a statement that the assay also appeared to be a strong indicator of tumor aggressiveness, including pathological tumor grade and the extent of disease in the biopsy. A large prospective clinical trial is warranted to further investigate T2-ERG as a promising biomarker. One or more of the authors of this study reported financial relationships, including employment with GenProbe, a manufacturer of genetic tests. Patients with advanced prostate cancer have limited therapeutic options. Androgen ablation is one of the few treatments available for patients with advanced prostate cancer and has been shown to induce an intense T-cell infiltrate in the prostate. Ipilimumab potentiates T-cell responses, therefore investigators looked at whether ipilimumab would work synergistically with androgen ablation in the treatment of advanced forms of prostate cancer. Results were presented at the symposium from a Phase II study conducted by researchers at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. From June 2005 to April 2009, 108 patients with advanced prostate cancer were randomized to a single dose of 3 mg per kilogram of ipilimumab with androgen ablation or with androgen ablation alone. The primary outcome were safety and initial efficacy as measured by PSA and clinical response. The researchers found that 55% of patients receiving ipilimumab plus androgen ablation were likely to experience undetectable PSA by three months, as compared to 38% of patients receiving androgen ablation alone. Also, some patients treated with ipilimumab were found to have significant clinical response and disease downstaging. The authors of the study also reported that they're currently tracking the radiographic responses for certain patients to date who have undergone an off-study prostatectomy. They said that some patients experienced a robust clinical response with disease downstaging and called the results promising, though this was not the study's intent. One or more authors of the study reported financial relationships with the biotechnical company Metarex. Data was presented at the meeting from a study that looked at the frequency of inguinal lymphadenectomy procedures in high-risk penile cancer patients and their impact on survival. The study at Emory University in Atlanta included 593 patients with grade 3 and PT24 penile cancers without distant metastases gleaned from the Surveillance Epidemiology and End Results Program, the National Cancer Institute's database for cancer statistics in the United States. The major urologic associations recommend inguinal lymphadenectomy to prevent distant metastases in grade 3 and PT24 penile cancers. However, it's been observed that only a small percentage of patients received lymphadenectomies. Investigators found that 26.5% of these patients undergo lymphadenectomy. Further, they found that age was significantly associated with whether patients received lymphadenectomies, with a 28.5 decrease in the likelihood of lymphadenectomy for every year of age. Additionally, investigators found that patients who underwent lymphadenectomy involving less than 8 lymph nodes had poorer 5-year survival rates than those involving 8 or more lymph nodes. The researchers conclude that guidelines should not only be more emphasized, but these guidelines should be updated to reflect the benefit of extensive lymph node dissection in older penile cancer patients. Two studies presented at the symposium looked at drugs to limit prostate cancer progression and recurrence. The first study, called the Treatment of Hormone Refractory Metastatic Prostate Cancer, previously treated with a taxotere-containing regimen, 
or the TROPIC study, was designed to evaluate the efficacy and safety of cabazitaxel in men with metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer who were unsuccessfully treated with docetaxel chemotherapy. In this Phase three trial, 755 men with metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer were randomized to either cabazitaxel plus prednisone or mitoxantrone plus prednisone. The most frequent grade 3 to 4 toxicity was neutropenia. Neutropenia was observed in almost 82% of patients treated with cabazitaxel and 58% of those treated with mitoxantrone. Rates of febrile neutropenia were 7.5% in the cabazitaxel group and 1.3% in the mitoxantrone group. After an average follow-up of nearly 13 months, investigators found that median survival was 15 months in patients who received cabazitaxel compared with 12.7 months for patients treated with mitoxantrone. Several authors of the TROPIC study reported financial, consulting, and employment relationships with Sanofi Aventis, the manufacturer of cabazitaxel. Another study sought to find out whether short-term endocrine therapy prior to and during radiation therapy improves overall survival in patients with localized prostate cancer. In this large Phase three radiation therapy oncology group study, researchers randomized nearly 2,000 patients to radiation therapy alone or to four months of total androgen suppression starting eight weeks prior to radiation therapy. The patients were 71 years of age on average. About half had T1 tumors and the other half had T2 tumors. The primary endpoint was overall survival. The researchers found that the estimated overall survival at 12 years was 51% in the total androgen suppression plus radiation group and 46% in the radiation therapy group alone. Those with intermediate risk disease experienced the greatest benefit and those with low risk disease experienced no benefit. Acute and late radiation toxicity was similar in both arms. The addition of four months of total androgen suppression given prior to and during radiation therapy appeared to improve the overall survival in patients with T1B to T2B carcinoma of the prostate with prostate-specific antigen of 20 or below. The researchers added that analysis of secondary endpoints and risk-stratified subsets continues to help identify those patients who benefit most from androgen suppression. According to a study conducted by researchers at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center and colleagues, cystoscopy alone is more cost-effective for follow-up screening of non-muscle invasive bladder cancer than combined cystoscopy with urinary biomarker detection. Cystoscopy alone is also associated with a lower incidence of false positive results. Non-muscle invasive bladder cancer has a high recurrence rate, and patients must undergo lifelong surveillance. Researchers used 2009 Medicare reimbursement data on 200 patients with a history of bladder cancer to evaluate the cost of common bladder cancer surveillance strategies. The strategies included cystoscopy alone and cystoscopy in combination with NMP22, fluorescence in situ hybridization or FISH cytology, and NMP22 plus FISH. The researchers found that cystoscopy alone provided the lowest cost per tumor detected at about $7,600, followed by cystoscopy with NMP22 confirmed by FISH at about $9,500. Cystoscopy plus cytology came out to about $10,000 per tumor detected, followed by cystoscopy plus NMP22 at about $11,000, and cystoscopy plus FISH, which came to about $19,000 per tumor detected. Cystoscopy alone was associated with only two false positives, while cystoscopy plus fish was associated with 30 false positives. 
The authors concluded from this prospective study that cystoscopy alone remains the most cost-effective strategy to detect recurrence of non-muscle invasive bladder cancer and results in at least a number of cancers missed. Further, the addition of urinary markers appears to add to the cost without increasing tumor detection. One author of the study reported receiving research funding from Abbott Diagnostics and Genomic Health, while another author reported receiving consulting fees from multiple pharmaceutical and diagnostic companies. And last, in prostate cancer research, a new urine test, the Prostate Cancer Gene 3, or PCA3 test, for detecting prostate cancer may reduce the need for repeat prostate biopsies. This is according to researchers at Genprobe Incorporated, GlaxoSmithKline, and Barnes Jewish Hospital at Washington University Medical Center in St. Louis. In a prospective sub-analysis of the reduction by dutasteride of prostate cancer events, or REDUCE trial, the novel urine test was shown to accurately predict whether a biopsy will indicate prostate cancer. REDUCE was a four-year prostate cancer risk reduction study in which men with a negative baseline biopsy and serum PSA of between 2.5 and 10 were randomized to dutasteride or placebo. Ten core biopsies were obtained after two and four years. Researchers assessed PCA3 scores determined from urine specimens of over 1,000 men in the placebo arm of the trial. This was the largest repeat biopsy cohort evaluated to date. The researchers found that prostate cancer was diagnosed in 6% of men with a PCA3 score of less than 5, and in 57% of those with a score over 100. PCA3 score was also significantly correlated with biopsy Gleason score, providing further evidence that PCA3 might be useful for identifying more aggressive prostate cancers. In addition, PCA3 score determined at two years was a strong predictor of biopsy outcome at four years, where men with negative biopsies and a higher PCA3 score at two years were more likely than those with a lower PCA3 score to be diagnosed with prostate cancer at four years. PCA3 clinical utility for predicting repeat biopsy outcome was further confirmed in a multicenter worldwide clinical trial. The investigators concluded that assay informative rates were similar to previously published studies. In diagnostic accuracy, the gene test outperformed serum PSA as well as a predictive model incorporating serum PSA, free-to-total PSA ratio, and other clinical information. PSA 3 scores may also be able to detect undiagnosed cancers, as measured from predicted biopsy outcomes at year 4 of the trial. Genprobe Incorporated and GlaxoSmithKline, with whom several authors of this study have financial, consulting, or employment relationships, are manufacturers of the PCA 3 test. Thank you for listening to conference coverage highlights from the American Society of Clinical Oncology's 2010 Genital Urinary Cancer Symposium, which took place March 5th through the 7th in San Francisco. Conference coverage highlights is a presentation of ReachMD Radio, broadcast on XM160 and by live stream at ReachMD.com and powered by Health Day.